Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. Bianca Amira Zanella is the poet in residence in, at Phoenix Books Rutland and host of an international monthly open mic. Her poems have most recently appeared in The Artful Mind, The Rutland Herald, The Mountain Troubadour, and The Reverie. In 2020, Bianca founded The Paper Poet, now offering healing poetic experiences to anyone experiencing suffering and continues to perform around the United States and virtually abroad. Welcome, Bianca, to the Vilas Wings Poetry Podcast. Thank you so much, James, for having me. What is it about poetry that has attracted you to the art form? Wonderful beginning question. <laughs> poetry is my natural state. Meaning making is a natural state for humans, I think, as well as my brain makes these connections that is so akin to metaphor. That's how I understand the world. So poetry and the ambiguity in understanding poetry allows me to create connections that I don't think any other art form has allowed me to. Very cool. Well, I first met you at the Phoenix Books virtual open mic you hold monthly, which features, thanks to COVID, poets from around the world. I'm on the West Coast, you're on the East Coast. Uh, what have you learned about running a successful open mic and being an effective host? Authenticity, authenticity, authenticity. I created the open mic in my town where I live in Rutland, Vermont, on stolen Abenaki land years ago because I wanted to create community around poetry, which is a love of mine, and to share my love of that poetry. When the pandemic began, shifting virtually was a natural shift. I think many of us did that. And so the idea of creating community is always at the core for me. It's one of my major values that really give my life purpose. And so I think the success that I have been able to maintain when people may be engaging with Zoom fatigue is my authenticity uh, to bridge people and to connect people from around the world in creating that community where we all feel safe and appreciated in expressing some of our most vulnerable work. So what have you learned about uh, getting the word out about your virtual open mics and, and having people stumble on them as I did? Uh, what, what's been effective? What, what have you had to really work at? Well, I have an amazing team behind me with uh, Michelle and everyone with Phoenix Books. So as the poet in residence, I get to actually really just focus on the poetry and 
hosting and creating that that comfort. So most of actually the marketing and everything is done by um, Michelle. And so I'm really lucky and privileged in that. We partnered with Eventbrite really early on though and used their tags to tag Poetry Open Mic. And I think just having it on that platform, people could easily search for it. And I'm a non-fuss type of person. So having things very direct, simple, to find and not having a complicated sign up process you know as you know coming to the open mics you sign up when you log in via the chat or by waving at me through the zoom so i think just the simplicity of it helps people connect and stay connected so what have you learned from the poets that you've been able to meet now um because they can appear virtually and 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 as the the open mics that i've attended are from all over the place so what have you learned from them as a result i just love seeing the variety of voices hearing for instance, um, our like the Philippines poet that comes that has such a cadence, um, Lincoln right LKN uh, poetry to shout him out. His voice is so dramatic and theatrical, and you really are brought along for like the story of the poem, and so the variety there with a lot of um, oomph to it, right? Mm -hmm. So I just love learning from different styles like that. And just hearing how people have really turned inward through the pandemic and then and then turned outward through their writing and to share that as well. I've learned so much about resiliency throughout the open mic. People are pretty amazing. <laughs> and that gives me lots of hope when I don't always feel confidence in our humanity. And so learning from the other poets, sharing their work and being able to be fully present in that gives me optimism. So let's switch more to your uh, your writing now. So what's your process for turning an idea into a fully formed poem? Not that there's one magical formula, but what, what generally is the way that you approach writing poetry? I would say every poet probably has a similar answer, right? And that it depends, <laughs> um, mm. right? So there are the days, I think similar to you, where you wake up in the middle of the night and it's 4 a.m. and you pull out a pen and paper or your phone and you know you have to jot down the idea before it leaves you. Thank you, universe. And then there are those other days where you have maybe just a line that you work with um in in sharing my my poetry process i feel like um a lot of poets who come from the slam community which i come from spoken word or the slam poetry community um tend to do this so and i think even in the historical kind of tradition of oral tradition right when we think about poetry as one of the oldest art forms I actually do a lot of my writing, my writing, and I'm doing air quotes right now, because a lot of it is speak to text, because I'm going on long isolated walks by myself, and I have one line in my head that has stuck, and then I am just talking to myself over and over again with that line, 
And then it becomes another line and another line. And then I get a flow going and then I'm okay, I'm moving, I'm shaking and I'm just recording when I'm writing. And that actually started when I was a kid, my father got me a very old school tape recorder so that I could record my pieces and my ideas so that I wouldn't lose them. And that's transitioned into how I write now uh, so I actually don't do a ton anymore on the physical paper, although my friend Aaron got me a typewriter, which I have really been enjoying as a challenge to slow me down in my writing. And that, and I think a lot of folks will see this, right, in the, in the mode of transcribing the art, it's almost a different genre or like a different mood, I would say. So my typewriter poems feel very different than my more slam pieces that I speak to text and then edit. Whereas if I actually have a notebook, they are much more meditative and slowed down because I can't keep up with my pen. Cool. Well, tell me a little bit about your experience as poet in residence at Phoenix Books, Rutland. One of the things you do is the open mic, but you've also you know, did the Poetry Downtown Rutland, which I participated in uh, remotely, which was cool. And in general, the role of independent bookstores in communities. Yes, independent bookstores, I feel, are the heart of communities. You know, I've worked with Phoenix Books for nearly, for six years, actually, this month. And I was right there from the ground when they opened up. And even when we opened up, you know, we sought community support financially when we were looking to have that initial funding for it to, to manifest and to, to, tr to trust and to rely on the community support to make something happen like that. And, you know, we're stronger than ever now. And so it's really wonderful to see that through line. And being poet in residence for a local independent bookstore is just amazing. You know, I get to, I do all of the poetry recommendations and I get to also give spontaneous poems to people when they would like one, which is one of my favorite things to do improv or spontaneous poems. And just creating that sense of community around my open mic and giving people an opportunity to share has been incredible. The project that you mentioned where we posted over 70 poems around downtown, and it was my idea to do like a pop-up poetry path, but I really took the idea from, you know, this poem city Montpelier here in Vermont, and then my mentor, one of my mentors, David Mook, does a poetry downtown in Pulteney, Vermont, where I used to live. And so taking those concepts and evolving it into a pop-up poetry path around downtown, where it really got to be entangled with our sculpture trail, really brought it more to life and bridged the poetry with our artwork and murals around downtown. So that was super fun. And I hope to do more poetry projects 
uh, for my community in this role. Well, I thought it was just a great idea, and I'm going to replicate it next April as the Dublin's Poet Laureate. So I, I just I'm going to use that as a model to do that. So before I have you read your poem, I got one more question. Uh, through the paper po poet, you offer poetry services for the community. What have you learned about the healing power of writing, reading, and reading poetry? I think for me, poetry must change you somehow. And I think it was maybe Wallace Stevens that said, in poetry, you must love the words, the ideas, images, and rhythms, all with your capacity to love anything at all. And poetry to me really is, is that love, right? Um, and when I think about poetry and healing, it's really about that self-love. It is the love that turns inward, which gives us a moment of healing. Through the writing, it's such a release. I'm sure you can relate to this as well. Um, having read some of your work, it's it's a visceral release out of the body, right? You know, the body keeps the score. There's trauma in there. And to let that out, we feel alive in the writing of it and even more alive in the sharing of our work when we are heard and when we feel seen. And so, yeah, poetry changes me. And, and I think I have a certain willingness to let go of who I am every day, right? So there's a core Bianca somewhere in there, but I also am not afraid of change. And so, if I'm accepting poetry as this vehicle of changing every element, expectation of language, truth, myself, poetry has to change me. And so I have to be willing to let go of that. And I think that's where the healing can really come in is shedding those layers where that's no longer serving us. And, you know, allowing one's imagination to adjust to the strangeness of, of living in a new skin the next day. You brought a poem to share, so I'll hand the mic over to you and then we'll discuss the poem. So this poem is entitled, A Chant to Quiet My Uncertain Hunger. Quick, grab your cape of fireflies from the closet. We must go find more stones, for I am hungry. I eat all the pits from the stone fruits in the bowl, then the bowl, all wooden carved flesh looking sweeter than plump plum skin, sweeter to swallow stones when it's weight you are seeking before entering the sea for the first time to see if you will float. There are so many rocks on the beach. The vultures have finally stopped with their circling nonsense. You mistake them for bald eagles and tell me so. I don't correct you because lovers are never wrong as long as captains go down with their ships in a windstorm and you can't smell the dead I left out. I forget to put things away sometimes. We see the shore only for the moon. We see the moon only from the shore and decide to pause the tide and the moon disappears. We play at the in-between. 
Here, there is no need for flight, for falling in. Our bones are already fermenting. It is no mistake that when you are crossing a meadow and a snipe rushes out from the brush, the heart races to catch up to the feather's speed. It is no mistake that we are always flying with our hearts in motion. I see what is ripping you open. I see that you no longer need it. This copper river tarnishing your inside. So I take it out of you. You asked me where I put it. I don't feel all too strange, just a bit. I can handle it. I have turned gold green with just my sweat. My stare stops you for a second. Add a drop of vinegar to stop this erosion. I am both Midas and Medusa. Um, um, I remember I am supposed to be chanting. I am supposed to be praying. I am supposed to be giving you and therefore everyone a second shot. No, no, everyone doesn't get two bullets. That's not what I mean. Everyone gets one and they get to choose their ending. Don't we? I'll shelve books in the wrong slot at home on purpose. It helps me in the losing and the getting lost while not having to leave my bedroom. I like the need to find something other than myself every once in a centaur's calendar. Dance with me under the bed, won't you, dear? Don't mind the dust mites biting off your ears. You have plenty to spare. You listen, and it's an act of love, don't you? So you say, we are more than our desire. We collage our time together thinking Mod Podge could contain my cypress metal ambition. You use too much glue though and it's ripping with its dripping of slutty excess and nothing is staying put. We try tape necks to hold each other, but the mixer is making the music skip again and you claim you don't know why you were conducting so much electricity, why you were the storm. You reject my renovated throat, cast off this notion, calling me potato potion, good on the stomach of a dog, but not good for much else. I hate the taste of pink oranges after I brush my teeth. I wanted to be a sunspot post-eclipse blinking to blank ships docking on your thin hurricane legs. How you hold up anything is beyond me. How you hold me up is beyond. So much is not meant to be understood. My stomach, an open wound. I am still growling salt. I can feel the tar in my teeth and the greed in your grin. We are overheating in these concrete well water towers dried up with nowhere to go. 
Here we feel the molten flow under our feet. We call it heat when really it's our ending. We should be calling for another chapter, an amendment, addendum, something to give us more time. Even just a list of thank yous would suffice to make sure we knew who to blame because isn't that what this is all about? Pointing fingers? Maybe. I stole your copper for myself. Maybe I needed more heat. We say it's cooler on the coastline and in the mountains it snows first. We never say it's hotter inland even though we're told to feel the difference all the same. And I've never not seen a fig already cut in three pieces on a plywood coffin top charcuterie board. I don't know how I'll look whole. You, you offer an oatmeal cookie to the river when you go hunting because you forget how to fold paper planes. A stone finds you, accepts you, and will sit on your altar. You'll hold its secrets when you are in ceremony. I'm not allowed to see your stone, just your holding of it. I ask you to walk along the rock wall every spring thaw to check for cracks and fallen stones. You are only the silence of your dancing tide breaking stride. If I had heard any promises, I would have in turn given you all the stones I had swallowed to build the seawall to protect us from one-way floods. In fact, I'd have given you the knife to breach my belly, to get them out to get me out. Thank you. Wow, it's such a powerful piece. There's so much to unpack there. I mean, we won't have time to unpack it all, but I'm going to uh, I'm going to I've got a few questions I'd like to ask to uh, help people think about what they just heard. So, in reading the poem a couple times, I was aware of many images of solid things, rocks, stones, bones, walls, copper, concrete, even plum pits in contrast to the fluidity of relationship. Uh, was that intentional? What was kind of your starting point for what's, uh, you know, a long poem? What's the, what was your starting point idea that got you going? Before I answer that question, James, can you feel it? Did you feel the poem? I felt it. Yes. I felt the, uh, the, the struggles and challenges of relationship, all these solid things that were, that were a theme running through the thread running through the whole poem, the, the emotional core. I mean, yeah, I found it very, very powerful and, and moving and about relationship ultimately, but with all these other physical elements and natural elements uh, thrown in. Yeah. Um, I, I always ask when I do workshop, I always ask, um about what what you feel after a poem is shared because i think that's where the power of the poem lies rather than maybe the analysis so i wanted right, to start right. there with, with the emotional reaction um yes so it is very intentional that kind of give and take of the um the natural elements within the piece and the emotional fluidity of desire 
um, and craving something and being hungry for something that you have, but I'm always doubting that you're going to lose. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's where the idea of the, the swallowing, like this, um, this stone, you know, from the, the fruits and from the ocean and from the beach really becomes the own, the, the wall that's acting as a sort of protection, but in reality, it's what's crumbling around her. Very cool. So for a poem that is um, a, a, a long poem, I think it would fit into that, that, that descriptive. I've done several long poems too, where I kind of start writing and then it becomes a long poem. It's not something that I said, oh, I'm going to write a long poem today. It's just, it, that's what it needed. Um, but one thing I've, I've found that I almost have to force myself to is to edit the poem fairly and not get to overweight the time I spend on the beginning or the end and lose track of all the critical things in the middle. How do, how do you approach the editing process so that the entire poem gets a fair shake, if you will? Or is that something that you struggle with, too? <laughs> I do struggle with that. You know, when I when I studied in Ireland, um, we always had this idea that poetry is brevity, right? Poetry is brevity. And I think that's, you know, the way that the Irish poets really approach this art form. I do not. <laughs> um, although this piece did come down from like 3,500 words. So it is edited down quite a bit. Uh, I do struggle with... Um, you know, in poetry, we want to, you know, every line to sing. And I recognize that. Um, I think in something like this, I do try, you know, in, in this piece, at least, you know, I was channeling a lot out of me <laughs> with this piece. And so, and it's a fresh piece. So everything feels really important, right? Everything's my baby. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I can always go back and edit. And, and I think that's where a lot of you know, a lot of poets get hung up on that where you are going to edit something forever if you if you want to, you could do that. Um, that's actually something that I really appreciate about, about having the monthly open mic too is that it gives me a stopping point where then I have to share the piece. And at that point, I release it into the universe and don't worry about it. So in terms of your performance of it, uh, which I really enjoyed and I thought really just amplified the words, uh, how do you approach the performance in parallel to the written, the writing of the poem? Yeah, I try to mirror the context with the form. I took a workshop with poet Tara Hardy and she drilled that into us, you know, mirror form and content, right? So the context or the story, the narrative of the piece how I'm going to perform it, how I'm going to share that, that tale really should be visual as well on the page, even though I'm not going to always be the reader for people experiencing this piece if it's in text. And so when I choose my punctuation and my line breaks and my enjambments and everything, I do try to mirror how I'm going to speak it. And then I just breathe, breathe, breathe through the poem. Cool. Well, finally, as the poet in residence for Phoenix Books, another shout out, uh, do you have a book recommendation or two, particularly poetry book recommendation or two? Yes. Uh, I just got last week, which I think is funny because when I just moved and I've lived in the same apartment for four years and the book that I 
read on my first night in my apartment was a Kaveh Akbar book. And the night that I left, I also read from the Kaveh Akbar Pilgrim Bell, which is his newest book. And it's amazing. Um, the first one was uh, Portrait of an Alcoholic and then Calling a Wolf a Wolf. There's a, the chapbook and his debut book there. But his new book, Pilgrim Bell, is astounding, and I highly recommend Kaveh Akbar to any poet. Terrific. Well, thank you, Fabianca, for sharing your thoughts and insights and poetry on the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. It's been terrific having you here. So much gratitude. Thank you. Bye. Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.com.